Well, again, welcome to worship. If you're worshiping with us in the room or whether you're watching this on video, we're so, so glad that you are here. And we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Four. And the inspiration behind the series is that we need to be reminded again and again that God is for us and not against us. You know, sometimes people have this negative perception of God or like he's this angry judge just waiting for us to mess up. But God is for us and he demonstrates that in so many amazing ways. And so that's really what this series is all about. So tonight, we're doing something a little bit different. The sermon's only going to last about 80 minutes. I think Zach's going to go about 40. I'll go 35 after that. You guys will be out of here real soon. But uh, no, tonight in the series, we're asking, we're saying God is for our communities and for our cities. And, uh, and looking at what does that really mean? Zach, what's your favorite part of your neighborhood? I guess I would say my neighborhood is extremely warm and welcoming. We've lived there about a year and a half now. And right away when we moved in, people just made sure that we felt like we were a part of things. We got invited over to people's houses. And so there's just this great uh, warmth and welcoming feel. That's awesome. How about you? I think ours is similar. Nobody's had us over for dinner yet, but we love our neighbors. Um, They're just, they're always out. There's always people to talk to. Uh, I have a guy across the street. He's just fantastic. He pays for yard waste removal and then lets me set my stuff on the curb. So it costs me a six pack of beer every year. It's really not that. It's a pretty good deal overall. (laughs) If Um, I could get his address after the service, that would be very helpful. (laughs) I'll let you know. And the other thing that's really good is we have lots of little kids just running around. There's always kids on bikes and skateboards and scooters up and down the street and in the park. It's, it's really fun to see. Well, that's awesome. Now, Jason, I know you've been in youth ministry for quite a few years. And as you kind of look at the landscape, what is something or a few things that you love about this young generation, the kids that we have around us? Yeah, when I started youth ministry, I had hair. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the two things I appreciate most is their acceptance of just about anybody, but they want you to be authentic. If you're a little bit weird, be weird. If you're a little bit awkward, be awkward. Super good news for me. (laughs) (laughs) But just be who you are. Mm -hmm. The other thing I really think, and I think they get a bad rap for this a lot, but I think they are super passionate about things that matter, Mm -hmm. about things that are going to make an impact. And if you can give a reason why they should be involved or the impact that their involvement is going to make, I think they're willing to serve and to give. And it's just really exciting to see what they're going to be, be and do for the world around them. That's awesome. Yeah, so I think there's so many things that we could probably all say positively about our neighborhoods and, and also about younger generations and really any generation. But I think we would also all acknowledge that it's pretty easy at other times to become more negative and critical. Have you ever noticed that? Like when you're driving into your neighborhood and you see so-and-so having, you know, a bunch of stuff out in their yard or there's somebody that just kind of gets on your nerves, a lot of times it's easy to become very critical, very negative, and very judgmental. I remember back in one of our first houses, we had a neighbor who had numerous vehicles up on blocks in his front yard. And it kind of annoyed us. We're thinking, like, this isn't good for our property value. But there were also people in the neighborhood that were writing anonymous letters and things. It's just easy for us to feel negative 
and critical. Now, that can also go for youth, right? Sometimes we look around and say, you know, the kids these days, they feel so entitled and, you know, they don't have the same respect for their elders like they used to. A lot of times it's easy to have that that critical outlook, that negative outlook. And you know what? In the Old Testament, there's a story that many of you are familiar with, at least part of the story, and it's the story of Jonah. You know, of course, you remember him ending up in the belly of a fish. But remember the whole story of Jonah. Jonah was this guy who God called to be a prophet, and God called him to go to a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh had issues. There were a lot of evil and wicked things going on. And so Jonah was tapped by God to go and preach to Nineveh and to warn them that they better shape up or some drastic things were going to happen. Well, Jonah did not like Nineveh at all, and he did not like the people there. And so what Jonah did is he ran in the opposite direction. He went and got a boat ticket, got on a ship, and started to sail away. Well, God, of course, was going to get through to him, and so what he did is he sent this big storm to come, and it was just rocking the ship, and finally the other sailors figured out that this was because of Jonah, and so what did they do? They got rid of him pretty quick. They threw him overboard, and he ended up in the belly of this large fish for three days. Now, pretty much everybody's read that in a children's book, right? But what happens after is so interesting because he gets coughed up on shore and, of course, has learned a lesson. He's not going to run the other way. So he begrudgingly goes to Nineveh to do what God called him to do and to share this message of judgment and warning. And, you know, you guys better get your act together or it's not going to be good. So he does his job and then he goes away. And what he finds out is that God has compassion on Nineveh because they actually turn around and repent. They actually listen to God's message, and they try to do better. And so God says, all right, I'm going to spare their lives. And you'd think Jonah would be overjoyed, like his preaching worked. But that's not what happened at all. He was angry, and he was bitter. So he went off in the desert, and he camped out under a tree, and he basically, at one point, he was such a dramatic guy. He's like, God, why don't you just kill me now? And so God comes to him, and he has something interesting to say in chapter 4, verse 11. God says to Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people living in darkness? God's saying, shouldn't I have compassion on these people? I mean, shouldn't I be concerned about them? Shouldn't my heart break for them. Basically, the word in Hebrew that's used there is the word to weep. And God is asking Jonah, you know, I'm weeping for these people because they're harming themselves. They're so full of pain and despair. But what about you? Why aren't you weeping for them too? Why don't you have a heart for these 120,000 people that I love? just as much as I love you. Now, I think there are many of us who consider ourselves Christians who way too often have a Jonah kind of outlook on things. You know, we see all the needs and all the problems and all the struggles that surround us in our communities. We see the people around us often doing destructive things, making bad choices, 
And we end up being critical and negative and judgmental. We no longer have God's heart for people. And instead, we become closed off and closed-minded. You know, we look at people and we look at communities like they're a lost cause instead of actually looking at them as a great opportunity that God has given us. Now, what often happens, too, for us as Christians is we end up living in a Christian bubble. You know, we come to worship, we hang out together, and then we go away from this place and we hang out with other Christians. And it causes us, again, to kind of look down on the other people who don't get it. But church, what we need to remember is that God loves cities and God loves communities. And I think one of the best places this is reflected is in the life of Jesus. You see, towards the end of his ministry in Luke 19, he is coming back towards the city of Jerusalem and he gets kind of a bird's eye view And he takes in the city and he knows what's going on. He knows the struggles. He knows the pain. He knows the frustrations. And what it says is that he weeps for the city. Now imagine Jesus looking at our communities today, knowing all the struggles, knowing all the pain, knowing the the choices that people are making, Jesus isn't turning his back on our community, not at all. Jesus weeps for our communities because he loves them and he sees it as an opportunity for us to reach out. We can't sit back and let people stay in despair and pain and struggle when we have the greatest news in the world, when we have the greatest source of hope. You see, church, loving our community is really at the heart of our mission as a church. Zach, I think that's so powerful that we catch that phrase, loving our community is at the heart of our mission as a church. And our mission as a church, didn't we didn't create this. This mission is found all through the pages of Scripture. It's God's heart for his people. Think about Jesus' words in Matthew twenty two twenty nine: Love your neighbor as yourself. Or as he's getting ready to leave his disciples and go up to heaven in Matthew 28, 18, he says, as you are going, make disciples. And his final words in Acts 1, 8, tell people about me everywhere, starting in Jerusalem. Starting where you live, starting in your community, starting in your neighborhood. As you are going, tell people about me. As you are going, make disciples. As you're at the grocery store shopping, make disciples. As you're at the soccer field with your kids, make disciples. As you're going to work on Monday morning, make disciples. As we're going through daily life, we're called to love our city by helping them understand the truth of the good news of the gospel. And I think we see this love of city and what it looks like so clearly 
in the words of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bibles and want to open up or turn on your phone and look up Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 5 is where we're going to start from. But I want you to realize as we read these verses, the Israelites aren't living in like suburban America. They've rebelled against God. They've done what God has asked them not to do. And God has led them into exile. They're captives to Babylon, one of the most brutal dictatorships in all of history, one of the most brutal empires. And they're living in captivity. And in that captivity, God says this to the people of Israel. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I want you to catch all these words we've looked at. Love, go, Tell, build a home, plant a garden. These are action words, work. They're words that call us to action. But the truth is, in the church today, we've made following Jesus about getting people to come into this room and sit down and listen to me talk or listen to Zach talk. That's not what Jesus says it means to follow him. I think it means we go out and we do some stuff. We show love to the city and to our communities by the way we live. It's not about coming and listening to a sermon. Yes, that's great. It's helpful. It's encouraging. It teaches us more about who God is. But I think the heart of following Jesus is about showing the love of God to the people around us. And in these words, Jeremiah says, first of all, first of all be content. Be content. Now, this is a dangerous word. He doesn't say be comfortable. He doesn't say be lazy. He says, get married, build a house, plant a garden, enjoy life in the city. Enjoy life where God has put you. Never have I seen this more clearly than when I was on a mission trip in New Orleans, Louisiana. And we're walking through the Ninth Ward, and if you know anything about New Orleans, right after Katrina came through, that's where the levee broke, and that whole area was flooded underwater. Entire homes and blocks were devastated. And it's a few years after that I'm walking through at this point, and there's like grass in one lot that's over my head, and the next lot, maybe you can see concrete steps, and then the next lot is beautiful, and then the next lot has grass over your head. As we walk down the street, there's a lady. And as we get closer, her yard is pristine. I mean, it looks like any yard you've ever seen in any beautiful community you've ever lived in. The grass is green, it's well cut, and she is out there with kitchen scissors <laughs> trimming the grass along the edge of her driveway. Now keep in mind, the grass right next door is over my head. 
and she's trimming the grass. And we started and we stopped and we talked to her a little bit about was she there when Katrina happened? And yes, and I had to leave and I went and lived with my family in Alabama, but I came back. And I said, you came back? You came back to the ninth ward. You can see the levee right there and you moved back here. She said, what else would I do? I love my city. I couldn't go anyplace else. This is home. This is what I love. These are the people I love. This is what I love. Is that the way we feel about our community? As a church, we have a history that we love this community. Some of you are around 20 years ago when the leaders of this church prayed, should we leave? Should we leave Golden Valley? Should we move west, buy a big space of land, build a building? And they chose to stay here. Because we felt and they felt at that time that this was where God had called them to be. This was the community they were called to be content in and to serve and to love. He also says to work for peace. Work for peace. If there's a community conversation, if there's something happening in our community and a group from Calvary showed up, what would the people in the room say about our presence? Would they see us as people who came to speak peace into the situation? Would they see us as people who came to bring unity? Or would they see us as people who come to bring arguments, to bring division, to stir up? How we say what we say in today's society is almost as important as what we say. And Jeremiah says, if we're gonna love this place, if we're gonna love this community, we have to be people of peace. And we have to help our city prosper We have to help our city prosper. There was a study done in Philadelphia where they studied these churches for years and they estimated the economic impact of each church in Philadelphia to be $4 million a year. $4 million in social services. $4 million helping the people of the community where those churches were that if the church didn't exist, somebody else would have to step up and provide that $4 million. If we left Golden Valley, would anybody know? If tomorrow Calvary's doors closed, would anybody care? Anybody outside of here? Are we here to help our community prosper? That's the heart behind JUMP, our new after-school program, where we want kids to come here to know that they can be loved, they can be cared for, they can have a good snack, they can learn, they can get homework help. They can see the gospel lived out. And one dad walked up to Sarah, our new middle school director, and he said, Sarah, I just want you to know that every day when my son wakes up, he comes running to me and he goes, is it Thursday? (laughs) And he says, not yet. He says, Thursday's my favorite day because I get to go to jump. We have to be a church that wants our city to prosper. And the last thing Jeremiah says is, 
If we're gonna love our city, we better be praying for our city. When was the last time you fell to your knees and prayed that God would do something amazing in the lives of the people who live in this city? The truth is, based on George Barna's research, 205,663 people live within a 10-mile radius of this building who don't know Jesus. How much time are we spending praying for them? How much energy are we spending investing in our vision and making them feel comfortable and that they have a place to be when they walk in this space? You see, we as a church have a heart for our city, but we all know that the church is made up of individuals, you and me working together, and it's our responsibility to have a heart for our neighborhoods. That's so, so good. So inspiring, too, as I think we can all think about our own communities. I think one of the awesome things about Calvary is we have so many different cities and communities that are represented here, from Golden Valley to New Hope to Crystal to Plymouth to Maple Grove, and the list goes on and on and on. And so we have the, the ability to make a great impact, but also it can seem super overwhelming because that's a lot of territory and so I think one of the things that we can also do as we think individually is to start small and to start with our own neighborhoods. What kind of impact can we make in our neighborhood? What kind of impact can we make in the lives of the people who live around us on our street or on the same floor of our apartment or condo building? How can we start small and start to make that impact? that God calls us to. Well, I think we get some, some guidance on this in the book of Luke chapter 10. Jesus has been doing ministry for a while and now he's ready to send people out. And at this point, Jesus commissions and sends out 72 people, sends them out two by two to go and make an impact in communities and neighborhoods. But he also knows it's not going to be easy, that they're going to face opposition, that they're going to face problems along the way. So he wants to give them some very clear instructions on what they're supposed to do. And the, the cool thing is when we look at what Jesus says in Luke 10, there's a lot of parallels to what Jason just talked about from the book of Jeremiah. You know, no coincidence at all. There's a, a lot of these themes, these threads that run through the Bible. But Jesus gathers these 72, and the, the parts I want to call out are in verses 5 and then 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 10. He first says, when you enter a house, so you're going out into the community, and then you're going into a neighborhood, and you're trying to meet people. When you go into a house, first say, peace to this house. Then he says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. And then he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. First thing that he says to do is you go out to make an impact in your neighborhood is to speak peace and blessing into your neighborhood. Now that might sound churchy and it might sound really simplistic, but there's power in how we choose to speak 
in how we choose to interact and conduct ourselves when we're in our neighborhood. Now, again, like I said at the beginning, it's easy sometimes to get frustrated with our neighbors. You know, sometimes they're too loud. I remember back when we lived in Woodbury, we had someone shooting fireworks off 365 days a year. Like, it's 10 below. We're like, why are you shooting fireworks off? It's like the furthest day from the 4th of July possible. It's easy to be annoyed and frustrated with our neighbors. It's easy to speak negatively, to critique, to look down on people. But we're called to be people of peace and people who speak blessing over people. And you know what? That actually makes a huge difference. It changes the spiritual atmosphere, the way we choose to speak, the way we choose to conduct ourselves. When's the last time you spoke a blessing over the people in your neighborhood? How about that neighbor that gets on your nerves, that you maybe avoid when you go out into the driveway, when you're gonna shovel your drive or you're gonna bring your garbage out? How might it change things if you would be a person of peace who would choose to speak blessing day after day into the people of your neighborhood? Now, the second thing that I think we're called to do to make an impact in our neighborhood is to invest in building relationships. As you think about the people around you, maybe on your street or on the floor of your apartment building or condo building, how many names of your neighbors do you know? How many of their stories do you know? Let me tell you, these questions are really convicting for me. I know I have a long ways to go on our street. But how many names do you know? How many stories do you know? Have you taken the time to invest in building relationships? It's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, to go out and invest in relationships, to hear people's stories. Maybe you need to invite some people over for a dinner party. Maybe, well, I was going to say have a bonfire, but I think that's kind of over at this point. But maybe find something else that you can do recreationally with people in your neighborhood just to get to know each other. And then listen to their story. Find out their background. Find out what's going on in their life. Because once we find out people's stories, once we find out what their felt needs are, well, then it leads up to the third thing we can do. And that's where we can pray for people's needs. When people share their struggles, when they share the the obstacles that they're facing in their life, when they open up with those things, we have this amazing offer that we can give them. We can say, hey, let me pray for you. And you know what? Even people who are far from God rarely ever will turn down prayer. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but virtually no one will turn down an offer of prayer. Now, they might not believe in it. They might have no connection to God, but the fact that you're willing to step out in faith and to offer to lift their needs up can be a powerful moment. Sometimes that can be the beginning of their connection with God. Now, of course, it doesn't guarantee that God's going to answer their, the prayers that we offer up exactly the way that we want them to. But we do know that God promises to be present, that he will show up, and oftentimes he'll answer those prayers in an even better way than we would ever imagine. He starts his amazing work in their life and in ours. And that leads to number four. When the Spirit opens the door, maybe it's through those prayers, maybe it's through an answer to the prayer, we need to be willing to share the good news. 
You know, Jesus says, when you go into these cities, he tells the 72, he says, you should announce that the kingdom of God is here. You know, when we see God show up and do amazing things, we can point to that and show people the kingdom of God is near. We can share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them and for us. We gotta be willing to walk through the door, though. When the Spirit leads, are you ready to share the good news? You know, I like to challenge people, are you able to share your testimony in two minutes or less? When you have the opportunity, are you able to share what God has done in your life, what Jesus means to you, in two minutes or less? You don't have to have a sermon. You don't have to have tracks to hand out. You don't need a bunch of bullet points. It's simply your story of what Jesus has done in your life. See, I think if we do these four things in our neighborhood, we're gonna see God show up in amazing ways. We're gonna see people's lives be changed and we're gonna see the spiritual atmosphere change in our neighborhoods and then that bleeds out into our communities. Now you might be thinking, well, it sounds super scary. I don't know about these things. Well, how about something as simple as inviting someone to church with you? To say, hey, come join me on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning. Come to my small group. Come Wednesday night, whatever it is. Just be willing to invite someone. You know, we've got Christmas services coming up not too far away. It's a perfect opportunity to invite your neighbors to come and join you here at church. The final thing I want you to think about is that when you leave this place, you're going on a mission trip. Now, the thing is, you don't need a passport. You don't need to go stop by the bank and get a bunch of extra cash. You don't need to go pack a suitcase. No, you're going on a mission trip to your neighborhood, to the floor of your apartment or condo building. Every one of us is going out into the mission field. As Jason mentioned, there are hundreds of thousands of people who don't yet know Jesus right around us. We don't need to fly across the world We have a mission field right in front of us. And the best part about this mission trip is you don't have to sleep on an air mattress on the floor (laughs) or ride in a bus with stinky teenagers. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I think living our lives as we're on a mission trip really means four things. It means we've got four steps for action for you as you walk out of this place tonight. One, as you walk out, there's going to be a giant map. You may have seen it on your way in right by the north entrance. What we'd like you to do, one pin, that's P-I-N, pin per family, (laughs) stick that on the map close to where your house is. And as you put that pin on the map, it's not just simply putting the pin there. It's an act that we hope helps you remember this week to pray for your neighbors. We, you and me, are the ones who live in our communities. We're the ones that God has called to live in the place where we live, to know the nine neighbors around us. Who are they? How can we be praying for them? Do we know if they have work or they're looking for work? Do we know if they're going through hard times or not? 
Like Zach said, get to know their names. Get to hear their stories. And as you put that pen on the map, be thinking about who you can be praying for. The second thing we want to challenge you to do is to figure out how you and your family could serve your neighborhood. And then so that we can see how you've done it, if you're on social media, we want you to like hashtag for community and hashtag golden or Calvary GV. So we can see all the things that as a church body, together, collectively, we've united to do to serve our community, to say, hey, we're for you. It might be something as simple as instead of, as Zach said, complaining about that neighbor, maybe the one in the neighborhood, you know, they haven't raked up their leaves yet. What if we walked over and said, hey, I've noticed your leaves aren't done yet. Could I do them for you? Could I rake them up and bag them? And I hear Jason, my pastor's got a neighbor, I can drop him off at his house. (laughs) What if we began to be for a neighbor? And what if in the midst of that, we stopped long enough to hear their story? And maybe in hearing their story, we'd be a little less judgmental about why those leaves weren't raked. Because maybe something happened in their October that just made it impossible for them to get them cleaned up. So what will you do as a family or as an individual to say, hey, God's for you? Thirdly, if you're struggling for ideas, Jason, I would love to serve, but I don't have a clue where to even start. I want to direct you to calvary.org forward slash serve. There's a ton of stuff on there that you can do. But three things I want to call out to your attention. On Sunday afternoon, we will have families moving into our space. Families who wouldn't have a place to sleep otherwise, who wouldn't have food to sleep otherwise. And we want to welcome them in for a week to be here. And we need people to come and host them, to welcome them, to talk to them, to cook meals for them. And there's a place to sign up on that, on that site there as well. Secondly, we're in the middle of a huge food drive for PRISM and for C-School. Uh, And so if you are willing, if you have extra food in your pantry or you've got extra money in your budget to go out and buy some food so that everybody else can have the same holidays that we're excited to have, we want to encourage you to do that. And then every week on Thursday night, we welcome about 220 people into our space for a free meal. No catch, no requirements, just come have a meal on us. And that means we need people to sit at those tables to have conversations with them, to get to know them. We need people to serve and cook the food. Maybe God's calling you to serve in one of those ways. So there's a lot of other opportunities on there, but we want to encourage you to check that out. And the last thing I want to get you thinking about, I want you to dream with me for just a minute. Remember the little boy who's so excited about Thursday? What if, as a church, we said, we believe in our community so much, we want you to be able to come here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? What if we had people so passionately involved in our community and in serving those people around us that we could offer free childcare every day after school? 
What if families in our community knew that if they couldn't afford the childcare program that Robbinsdale Community Schools provides, their kids could come here. They could have a safe place. They could have loving adults care for them. They could have a snack. They could get a free meal. And their kid would have a place to belong and a place to be. What if Robbinsdale Community Schools, the school district that Calvary sits in, or your school district, knew that if they needed help, they could call us. They could call Calvary and say, hey, do you have adults who are willing to come and read with our kids who need a little extra reading help? Do you have an adult who might be patient enough to sit with a kid who struggles to sit in class? Do you have an adult who could come and help this kid do his math homework? What if Robbinsdale Community Schools, when they had a need, every principal in that school district knew that they could call us because we're for our community. And we believe that being for our community is being for our kids and for our schools. One more. What if this spring, on the night of parent-teacher conferences, at every school in our school district, four or five people showed up with a charcoal grill some packages of hot dogs, bags of chips, and a bottle of water and made dinner for every teacher, every secretary, every mom and dad, and every kid who was coming to that school for parent-teacher conferences that night. What if our community really believed that Calvary Lutheran Church is for them What if they really believe that God is for them? God is for them. Are we? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you have called us and equipped us and sent us to go and love the people in front of us. God, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we haven't been loving, for the times that we haven't shown that we care, for the times that we haven't shown that we're for our communities. God, we're sorry. God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see how we can be involved, how we can go and share the grace and mercy with the people around us the way that you have shared grace and mercy with us. God, I pray that this community where you have placed this church would know that we are for them. God, I pray that you give us courage to go and serve. I pray, Father, that you give us wisdom to know how to change our schedules so we would have time to serve, so we could reprioritize the things in our lives that we need to reprioritize so that we could serve those people you've put in front of us. God, give us your heart for this place, for this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.